Good afternoon. You have reached Authentic Biochemistry. This is the podcast where we take published scientific research and we discuss it at the level of a graduate course or a postgraduate course. So if you don't want to hear about authentic biochemistry, I recommend you move on to another podcast that dilutes such information. We don't do any dilutions here, even though we do a lot of biochemistry. So let me get started. Today is the uh, 9th of March and the year is 2021. Now, just yesterday, I did a video lecture where I talked a great deal about amino acid neurotransmission. And we talked a little bit about plasticity and excitotoxicity as it related to the glutamate glutamine axis for neurotransmission, excitatory neurotransmitting pathways. Now, I was going to follow that up right away with another video lecture, but I decided that we needed some more background. So I recommend you listen to the lecture from yesterday, um, the video, watch that, and then jump right into um, this audio lecture on my regular podcast feed. And I I apologize if um, I don't advertise enough, but I do have a video channel. Just look it up. I'm Dr. Dan Guerra, and you will find my video channel. And uh, I will put in the show notes this afternoon, just in case uh, you need you need some help finding it. So what I want to do today is just like I did yesterday in the video lecture, I want to get some basics. And the basics are that we are going to be spending a fair amount of time now talking about neurodegeneration. Remember, we are now starting to get to the eclipse of aging, the immune system, and the causes of morbidity and mortality in humans. And we've been spending months now on these lecture series, both video and mostly audio. So I don't want to leave behind or or, uh, neglect any tracks of basic architectonic biochemistry that we would have to bring forward in the middle of our uh, higher level stream of discussion of individually published papers. So I need to do enough uh, background work, foundational work, uh, in just the basic pillars of biochemistry, in this case, redox biochemistry, reactive oxygen. So that's what we're doing right now. Okay, so again, Dr. Dang, where authentic biochemistry? Um, okay, so where do we generate? How do we generate reactive oxygen? And at the same, in the same breath, how is reactive oxygen eliminated? Now, first of all, reactive oxygen uh, is simply oxygen that is partially reduced. That is O2, molecular oxygen, partially reduced, will generate a series of radicals. And those radicals, because they have unpaired electrons, um, can be highly reactive to lipids, particularly polyunsaturated fatty acids, uh, cholesterol esters, Proteins, all kinds of proteins, both peptides and very large um, polypeptides, and nucleic acids, both DNA and RNA. So whenever reactive oxygen is generated, the cell has a detox system in place. So first of all, there's a manganese superoxide dismutase, and there is a copper zinc superoxide dismutase. And those enzymes will will be 
functionally from the mitochondria, that's the manganese uh, isoform, or in the cytoplasm. So one of the products of superoxide dismutase is hydrogen peroxide, H2O2. And hydrogen peroxide can be removed quickly by an enzyme called glutathione peroxidase. Remember, glutathione is a tripeptide. We're going to spend some time this afternoon talking about it. So the enzyme glutathione peroxidase will generate water from hydrogen peroxide. Uh, at the same time that occurs, it will, re it will oxidize two molecules of glutathione to its oxidized form, which is a disulfide bridge, and it's called GSSG. And the S is going to be coming from a cysteine residue, a part of that uh, uh, trimeric form that, that is three amino acid length of glutathione. So GSSG then, the oxidized form of glutathione, needs to be re-reduced. And it's re-reduced by an enzyme called glutathione reductase. At the same time that occurs, reduction back to GSH, a mole of NADPH is necessary to do that reduction. So NADPH then goes to NADP. Now, in order to resynthesize the NADPH, we often consider the enzymes in the oxidative pentose phosphate shunt, and this is no exception. So to generate NADPH, you can run the glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase reaction, which takes Glucose 6-phosphate, which comes directly, uh, it's been partitioned away from, I should say, glycolysis, takes glucose 6-phosphate and synthesizes glucano 1,5-lactone 6-phosphate. Okay? So that's the very, that's a brief beginning. The introduction is going to be much more uh, florid as we go on. Now, one of the reasons I'm talking about this is because of the damaging activity of reactive oxygen, but another is because of the fact that glutathione is actually associated with glutamic acid metabolism because glutathione is actually gamma glutamyl um, cysteinyl glycine. That's what glutathione is. So it's glutamic acid, cysteine, and glycine. So it's like I said, it's a tripeptide. So let's take a look at the gamma glutamyl cycle, shall we? So considering any plasma membrane that will import amino acids, and most plasma membranes will in most cells and tissue lineages, at the plasma membrane outer leaflet, you have a gamma glutamyl transpeptidase, and that will take glutathione, glutamate, and any amino acid and traverse through the membrane, through that transporting mechanism, now making cystineal glycine as one product and gamma glutamyl amino acid, whatever that amino acid happens to be. Now, the gamma glutamyl amino acid is a peptide bond, and you go through the reaction called gamma glutamyl cyclotransferase, where that amino acid that was imported is released into the cell. That leaves us another product, a compound called 5-oxoproline, and the enzyme 5-oxoprolinase, with the help of ATP, will convert 5-oxoproline to back to glutamate. Glutamate and cysteine now, both intracellular, 
can be ligated with an enzyme that's also ATP requiring, and that enzyme is called glutamate cysteine ligase. You've now formed the dipeptide gamma glutamyl cysteine. Now, one more amino acid needs to be added to make glutathione, as you know, and that third amino acid is glycine. And remember, the glycine came from that cystineal glycine that was left over after you transferred the amino acid along with GSH into the cell, right? So remember, you, let, you were left with gamma-glutamyl amino acid, and you had that gamma-glutamyl cyclotransferase to release the amino acid into the cell. And remember, the other product was cystineal glycine. So cystineal glycine, of course, will be broken down by a peptidase to the cysteine that just bound with glutamate and the glutamate-cysteine ligase reaction to make gamma-glutamyl cysteine, the dipeptide. What's left over, of course, is glycine. Glycine's added now. And that third reaction is called glutathione synthetase. Remember, we call something a synthetase, not a synthase, when we actually hydrolyze ATP. We couple it with ATP hydrolysis. So glutathione synthetase is no exception. ATP is hydrolyzed ATP and PI, and now you've made glutathione, which again is gamma-glutamyl cystineal glycine. Okay, so that's known as the gamma-glutamyl cycle. That is an importing mechanism for any amino acid, including glutamate, from the exterior of the cell, from the extracellular matrix, into in the interior of the cell. And now those amino acids that are brought in can be used for sample protein synthesis, right? In this case also, what's left over because GSH is involved in that movement through the membrane because of the gamma-glutamyl transpeptidase reaction that requires glutathione, uh, bringing in the, the uh, new L-amino acid, that you're always going to be generating cystineal glycine. I just went through the rest of the pathway. Obviously, also, the glutamate. So the entire tripeptide is not lost when it's brought into the cell via the gamma-glutamyl cycle. It's really important. It takes a lot of ATP to get through this. At least three ATP hydrolyses are necessary to be able to get back to glutathione. So it's, it's, it is energy requiring. All right, so let's go on. So I wanted you to know where, what glutathione is doing erstwhile to its activity in removing reactive oxygen. Glutathione has multiple functions in the cell. That's what I'm telling you. Now, many processes will generate superoxide that's designated with the chemical signature O2 dot minus. What enzymes are involved include a cytosolic xanthine oxidase, um, cytochrome P450 monooxygenase, which we just call SIP uh, for this lecture, that's found in the ER. And then there's, of course, the mitochondrial electron transport chain and the membrane-associated and ER, uh, plasma membrane-associated and ER-associated, all-important NADPH oxidase, which is called NOX, N-O-X for short. So as I just mentioned, NOX is a membrane-bound enzyme complex, and it's found at the plasma lemma, plasma membrane that is, as well as in those intracellular membranes and even in vesicles. The one that's most described is the one in the ER but it's found also in, also in the peroxisomal membrane, okay? 
So superoxide produced by the plasma membrane bound NADPH oxidase, okay, with the NOx reaction. For example, a good isoform you'd find in the plasma membrane would be NOx2. It can act both as an intra and extracellular enzyme, as I just mentioned. The intracellular one would be in the ER, right? Okay. So hydrogen peroxide produced from superoxide dismutase, that enzyme known as SOD, outside the cell can also transverse into the cell interior in part through what's known as an aquaporin channel. And that will actually initiate some intracellular signaling, which is going to involve more superoxide dismutase activity. Okay? So keeping in mind that superoxide can move into the cell through this aquaporin channel. Also, I'm going to tell you that the superoxide, which can be dismutated extracellularly to hydrogen peroxide, that hydrogen peroxide can also enter the cell, okay? So you can have hydrogen peroxide produced by superoxide dismutase outside the cell, as I just said, and also inside. And when it's produced outside, it traverses into the cell interior, again, through an aquaporin channel. So you've got aquaporin functioning at two different levels here, right? Now, Whereas superoxide can influx through a chloride channel three, it also has been shown to move through aquaporin. So it can move through multiple channels. And it could influx through, through that chloride channel three and actually displace chloride transport. Now the intracellular NOx, that's the NADPH oxidase, compl co that complex produces reactive oxygen and it can do so in the lumen of any vesicular compartment where the reactive oxygen actually works locally or from which it enters into the cytosol. Either way, the reactive oxygen is going to carry out now devastation to nucleic acids, lipids, and proteins if it is not removed. So the hydrogen peroxide is implicated actually in Ross signaling. This is distinct from ROS as a degradative system. Now, ROS signaling works through oxidative modifications of other critical redox-sensitive cysteines that you find in signaling proteins. All of that helps in maintaining cell survival, growth, even uh, metabolic switching, and indeed normal cellular processes and differentiation and development. Coordination among all those different intracellular antioxidant enzyme systems like superoxide dismutase, catalase, glutathione reductase, glutathione peroxidase, just as a few examples, all of that provides a general architectonic mechanism for spatial control of reactive oxygen, homeostasis, and signaling. Okay? So you get mitochondrial activity. Uh, mitochondria can also produce superoxide because of the incomplete reduction of molecular oxygen from, say, complex three. This is very common. That superoxide in the mitochondria can be converted to hydrogen peroxide in the, in the mitochondria, and that can help uh, induce apoptosis, mitochondrial-associated apoptosis, the mitochondrially synthesized hydrogen peroxide. Hydrogen peroxide, of course, can also get removed by peroxidase and glutathione peroxidase 
those are isoforms of those two enzymes also in the mitochondrion. And in fact, if you import hydrogen peroxide, catalase can also remove its potency by synthesizing water. And the electrons that are, that are left behind move through the glutathione pathway I just talked about, which can either the, you utilize glutathione via the peroxidation or the glutathioperoxidation of the hydrogen peroxide, thus taking GSH to DSSG and then the glutathione reductase utilizing NADPH, okay? So those are just some of the mechanisms that I need you to understand are going on inside the cell. This is all redox now, biochemistry. Now, there's another component here to keep in mind, and that's because glutathione is involved in it. So you know that there is a methionine pathway because I've talked about uh, it, it, it's some length with you, not very long ago. But compounds called polyamines, we'll start here. Polyamines are such substances as spermine, spermidine, and putrescine. Now, these are uh, obviously amino acid products. Polyamines can be degraded to methionine. Methionine can be converted to acidenosylmethionine, be an enzyme that's ATP requiring called methionine adenosyl transferase. Now, interesting, that enzyme, which makes acidenosylmethionine, is inhibited when glutathione levels are low, okay? So this is gonna couple back to glutathione because acidenosylmethionine can actually react with glycine via the enzyme called glycine and methyltransferase to generate the S. SAH, which is the um, precursor to homocysteine, okay? So at the same time, th that reaction will allow for glycine and methyltransferase to be negatively feedback regulated by methyl tetrahydrofolate, which is going to increase when the ratio of SAH to acetonosomethionine is increased. Okay, so these are all ratio-mediated allosteric reactions, right? Okay, so that semi-aldehyde, semi-aldehyde homocysteine, that's the SHS, I'm sorry, I didn't mention it to you. It gets converted to homocysteine after losing adenosine. Now, let's follow homocysteine. The homocysteine can react with 5-methyl-THF, tetrahydrofolate. This is folic acid metabolism. And you can get to 5-methyl-THF from methylene-THF via methylene-THF reductase. Now, that enzyme is also negatively uh, allosterically controlled by acetonosomethionine. So you see there's a lot of allosteric regulation. At any rate, once you make homocysteine uh, from a semi-aldehyde, homocysteine, THF, free THF is released, and you... And with the aid of adding betaine, uh, you resynthesize methionine, and you also generate dimethylglycine. Okay, and now you re—you can run that cycle again with methionine to acetonosylmethionine to the semialdehyde homocysteine to homocysteine and back again to methionine, utilizing carbon from the methylene, then methyl tetrahydrofolate to run those reactions. Now, the homocysteine can also be converted to cystathione, cystathionine actually, 
And cystothionine is, is synthesized from the enzyme um, cystothionine beta synthase. And now that reaction requires serine and actually vitamin B6. So cystothionine, it can be converted then to the amino acid cysteine via gamma cystothionase. Cysteine then can react with glutamate, ATP high requiring reaction couples ATP hydrolysis to make the gamma glutamyl cysteine. And then glycine can be added for making the tripeptide, that's right, to synthesize glutathione, okay? This is yet another mechanism. This is a sulfuration pathway. There's actually a transsulfuration pathway, which will go, um, which will, which will go from homocysteine all the way to cysteine. That's a slightly different set of reactions, which I'm not going to talk about. But same thing can occur: cysteine to gamma glutamyl cysteine to glutathione through that pathway. So you have transsulfuration pathways. You also have a transmethylation pathway and a polyamine synthesis pathway, all of which feed into this grid, which is dealing with C1 metabolism from folate, methionine synthesis net, and then acidenosine methionine is as a methyl donor to things like DNA, right? That's an epigenetic phenomenon, also for multiple biosynthetic pathways, C1 donor uh, proclivity. And that this is also, again, this is a way to synthesize glutathione. Okay, so you see that this is a highly innervated, complex interaction of amino acid metabolism uh, and carbon-1 metabolism, as well as sulfur biochemistry, right? So there's multiple things going on here. And that's, that's on top of the fact that the glutathione is involved in transporting amino acids. It's also obviously involved in this whole regulation of methionine, acidenosine methionine, and the methylation pathway, and all of folic acid metabolism. Okay, so there's mo and then of course the redox, glutathione being uh, front and center in redox metabolism. So folic acid, just to remind you, is involved in purine biosynthesis. So the nucleotide purine, that's adenosine and guanosine. It's involved in deoxythymine triphosphate synthesis. Folic acid is adding the C1 there. It's involved in DNA methylation, as I mentioned. It's also absolutely essential for choline biosynthesis, right? Because, because choline is trimethylethanolamine, and choline, of course, is a head group for phospholipids, right? Um, and, of course, methionine metabolism, what I just went through. So folic acid is essential in folic acid. I just went through all of those networked pathways. So you have, I just mentioned in folic acid, you have multiple levels of oxidation state of the carbon from an alcohol to an aldehyde to an acid. And so at the level of like say methanol to formaldehyde to formate, if you're just thinking about C1 metabolism, okay? Multiple reactions here, serine glycine, uh, the synthesis of nucleic acids is associated with that. The formal group is involved in the formulation of methionine transfer RNA, which is essential for translation of polypeptides, the final process of protein synthesis, right? So there are multiple pathways that are impacted by this. It's no small effect. So for example, I'll just 
I'll go briefly through folic acid metabolism. This isn't a folic acid lecture, but I'm compelled now to say something, so I, I want to make sure I cover it. And I know this material, so I'll tell you. So starting with folic acid, folic acid has to react, move, move into a cell through a receptor. And it's uh, folic acid is used to synthesize tetrahydrofolate. Tetrahydrofolate then um, can be converted to 5,10-methylene tetrahydrofolate. And that's the most common uh, oxidation state for THF for nucleotide biosynthesis. Okay. Then a reaction known as 5,10-methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase, that's MTHFR, that will synthesize 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate will react with homocysteine in the reaction we just mentioned to you, the thionine synthase. You're also going to need vitamin B12 for that to make methionine. Methionine can be converted to acidenosylmethionine, and then that is a C1 donor, a methylation uh, sub, a substrate for all the methyl transferases, which include adding methyl groups to DNA proteins and lipids, which we just went through. And then you make methylated DNA, methylated polypeptide, methylated lipids like choline, right? And when you transfer that methyl group from acidenosylmethionine, which came from methionine, which was synthesized by homocysteine reacting with 5-methyltetrahydrofolate, the product of all those reactions after methylation are going to be acidenosyl homocysteine, and you're back into that pathway, acidenosyl homocysteine to homocysteine, and then the cystothionine synthase to cystothionine, right? All right, so we're all back now to understanding where these things fit together, hopefully. So there are multiple regulatory uh, pathways for all this methionine and homocysteine metabolism. I'm not going to talk about it, but multiple places in folic acid um, interconversions, those are drug targets. They're drug targets because controlling folic acid metabolism was one of the original uh, chemotherapeutic targets for controlling some of the more um, vapid, rapidly advancing metastasizing cancers, right? Folic acid inhibitors. Um, there are a lot of biochemistry, a lot of biochemical work figuring out the folic acid pathway came about by trying to figure out ways to inhibit it, actually. So I'm not going to get into that in this talk, but uh, I wanted you to keep that in mind. There's a, there is a very, very rich literature on folic acid metabolism as it relates to chemotherapy for cancer. So I want to mention to you also that pyridoxal phosphate is necessary. So uh, in, in the rest of the metabolism that I'll have time for today, and let me see how much time, I don't have much time at all. So I will just leave it at that, I think. I'm going to tell you that when we continue, I'm going to do another audio lecture, and I'll talk faster so I can get it done. <laughs> but we're going to continue on with reactive oxygen and amino acid metabolism, because I want you to have a good biochemical framework where re reactive oxygen, amino acid metabolism, neurotransmission, which we've already covered, that whole nexus or axis of interactions that are going to be happening in the central nervous system can start to become pathophysiological during the aging process. Okay. So that's where I wanted to kind of leave you um, today with that because that's obviously where we're going. We're talking about the aging process. 
But this was a really brief overview on reactive oxygen. Um, again, summarizing, I explained to you where glutathione plays a role, also where glutathione is involved in importing amino acids. This will allow you to think about the GABA glutamyl cycle. Um, uh, and you'll also find out soon that we actually synthesize not just through the gamma glutamyl cycling, we're going to synthesize gamma aminobutyric acid from glutamic acid. And as you know, that is also a neurotransmitter, right? So you're going to be dealing with GABA and glutamate and glutamine. We're going to start putting the whole thing together in terms of neurotransmission. And then because of that, you need to know about reactive oxygen. You need to know about glutathione metabolism. And you need to know about the import and export of amino acids in and out of the cell, as well as the import and export of the potentiation of reactive oxygen and the damage it can do to nucleic acids, proteins, and lipids. So I think that was a good summary. Anyway, Dr. Dan Guerra saying um, bye for now.